Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast. Another amazing episode for you guys, per usual. Another amazing guest. But before we get into it, let's chat because, like, you know, when we ask our guests, what's your favorite political scandal or blooper? Mm. My answer that I would answer that with is like every Rudy Giuliani blooper from 2020. You love those. I mean, who doesn't? Literally love. And something that might have shifted that for me was today when Trump endorsed Eric. That's it. In a Missouri Senate primary with three Eric's. <laughs> and again, like farting in front of Congress, hair paint, dripping down the face, four seasons landscaping, like that's forever up there. But like this one is mm-hmm. is just is just scratching, you know, at this trying to get up there. Cause it is one of the funnier moments I've ever experienced in the political space. His lazy ass was just like, I don't know, just pick Eric. <laughs> and there's three. You know, okay, well that's funny, but what I just Googled adds some interest to this. Yeah. So I was really curious, like, don't get me wrong, Eric is obviously a popular name, but like to have three Eric's in the same race. Yeah. I don't know. So anyways, according to 2020 data from the Social Security Administration, Eric is the 198th most common name for boys in the U.S. Oh, I mean, yeah. But I guess, you know what? As I read that, that's probably like in terms of babies born in 2020 named oh, Eric. Perhaps. Not like the people that are. Yeah, I bet Eric is like a fleeting name. Group. The I best did. part okay. of this, too, Anyways. is not just, like, obviously the just pure, like, laziness and stupidity coming from Trump on this, but, like, the way it had everyone in the GOP, like, scrambling. Like, Missouri's voting today, <laughs> and he's now giving an endorsement for an Eric when there's three of them. It's just – and the way people are like, wait, who got the endorsement? Because, like, the Trump endorsement has been, like, the biggest theme and what everyone's watching this entire primary season and just like imagine being one of those Eric's being like, wait, who got it? <laughs> it's just too like good. Like the round table at like literally like any of those headquarters gotta be yeah. like, so Yeah, their little me? like is war room. The election day war room is probably like, I what do we do? But just hilarious. I I can't. I was on the actual floor and just it's it's up there political blooper i hope somebody one of our guests says that one day and i am going to be so happy about that but hilarious another hilarious moment is josh holly is writing a book i think it's coming out next year called manhood the masculine virtue america needs and what's funny about this is that like how you would like say that is like josh holly's manhood like 
because it's his book. He's the author. And there's obviously just tons of jokes to make about this. And Betches did a hilarious video. Everyone should go watch it. But just like a spoof on like fake, like kind of sneak peek reviews of like his book coming out. And just all these people like making fake reviews. Like Josh Hawley's manhood was shorter than I thought. And it was hard covered. <laughs> oh, or Jesus Christ. The Josh Hawley's manhood curved way to the right. It doesn't even try to stay center. It's just funny. Sometimes you think, like, did anyone bet this? Did anyone, like, was the team being like, you know what? Let's rethink this. Well, who's, what I want to know as I check this out, who is the publisher? Mm. That's the question. Great question. Because they're, let's see. Come on, come on. The masculine virtue America needs. I just can't. <laughs> Originally, he had a book with Simon and Schuster, and then after the insurrection, they dropped him. Hold on. Oh, Regenery, whatever that is. Okay, I've never heard of this company. That well, that that checks, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's who's publishing fair. Josh Hawley's book. Can oh oh well, I can give you their title on the Google Regenery Publishing, conservative books for independent. It cuts off. It cuts off. And now it won't load. What a Well, shame. conservative books Anyways. for independent dot, dot, dot also checks. So that. Yeah. Facts. Facts <laughs> right there. Thank you. Thank you very much. So anyways, that's. Will you be reading this book? Drums. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely There's not. There's no curiosity? N- not at all. You don't want to see Josh Hawley's manhood? Um, His wife sees that all the time, I'm sure. So I think I'm good. <laughs> Doubt. I think I'm good. Kind of doubt. Someone's it, taking care of that. Yeah, I don't know. Did you see the pictures of them kissing? No. Oh, oh, well I think I found it. It's like, oh my God, he up. he looks like he is gagging while I just this during the smooch. Like, like his I eyes hate are to like, tell that, it's but just neither of them is into each are other enjoy, or are enjoying themselves. <laughs> I just. So to your point of his wife sees his manhood, I I kind of doubt it. <laughs> they also seem like, now referring to a a weenie as manhood is like making me want to die. So I don't. Yeah, I think Josh Hawley's manhood should be called a weenie instead of manhood because he's yeah. a boy. He's a boy, not a man. Anyways. <laughs> Enough about Josh Hawley's manhood. I am done talking about it or thinking about it. But the other thing that we have to chat about is Andrew Yang and his announcement for his new third political party, the Forward Party. He's like kind of attempted this before, but basically is bringing back to life like this effort to bridge polarization between Democrats and Republicans and bringing together everyone he hopes just in a third gives me political nightmares. party and if you really just google it right now like andrew yang andrew yang period or just forward party or whatever it is like every article is just absolutely shitting on this idea i'm with them which is hilarious um just i want to hear it's more the from wrong, him it's the wrong freaking i mean when is there a right time but like did we not learn any lessons in past elections right. with these candidates? Like, And now you're going to do this before 
announce it before the midterms, announce it before 2024. Like we are in such a zone where every vote always counts. Yeah. But now you're going to try and splinter this further. This is, to me, is not going to help. I don't necessarily think it's something that shouldn't happen at some point that we should have more parties. Sure. By all means. Yeah. In theory, I love this moment. But timing is literally everything. Sure. And this to me just feels like this is your ego speaking. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this to me doesn't actually be like, like if you were doing this in a, if you're looking at something strategically and you wanted to do something to ensure the protection of democracy, yeah. this is not what you would do at this moment. At this moment. This Correct. is, yeah. It's again, it's this moment. It's not the concept in general. It's the concept at this time. Mm-hmm. In yeah. this light. And I, so, and I, and it's har- going to harp on, I, so many people are rightfully self-included, frustrated by the polarization in this country and how far apart people are and whatever. But people aren't going, part of that is that people are really in, intertwined with their identities and their parties. So you're not going to get someone that is intertwined as a Democrat or a Republican, a liberal or a conservative, that's going to then all of a sudden be like, I'm leaving this behind. What's the argument? this jump like the polarization isn't the first thing that makes people jump to make something happen it's oh my god what are my taxes gonna be oh my god what's the price of the gas pump? oh wait shoot my like bodily autonomy has been taken away like that's the shit that makes people jump and polarization while an important thing to play on to me is just like not the thing that's gonna make someone fully jump over that's not a total politico hard you know hard in the paint absolutely about politics so it's like you're only it's like almost like kind of like an elitist concept to me where it's like only people that are going to jump on board for this are people that are very hard into politics not like everyday person that's trying to get involved or is like adjacent to it or still shows up at the like the ballot box but like doesn't like live and breathe politics so anyways I found this particularly grading so yang we're not yin and yang yeah and i don't know if he's even like aside from the announcement i think he released a video about it that was the announcement but i don't think he's like commented on it since and i'm just super curious to hear from him and just hear like the strategy because i know like you know he does care about a lot of progressive values and it's like knowing if you know anything about politics and know what's at stake right now and what's going on like how could you think this was a good idea or like what is his strategy to avoid like right. the problem that everyone's worried about of like taking votes away from Democrats or progressives or whoever and ultimately like getting a Trump into office again or something. Yeah. What I'm curious what his strategy is and what he plans to say to everyone's concerns about that exactly. Like if he has some type of something that we, we were not thinking of, which I doubt, but I'm like – yeah, and just curious yeah. what his thought process is, and I would like him to do some type of interview so we can better understand what the fuck he's thinking. <laughs> but totally. So if anyone's perusing, perusing the web, maybe they're flipping through the cable channels, and he happens to have a little spotlight, and he's explaining this, and we miss it. Send it through. We'd love to watch it. Yes. Well, other news is monkeypox, monkeypox, monkeypox. We talked about it last, was it last week or the week before? Last week? I don't even know what time is. Anyway. I think last week. I know. It's an um, illusion. It's an illusion. It's a construct. But nevertheless, monkeypox, New York City and San Francisco have declared state of emergencies for monkeypox. So just want to put that out there for people. Like, 
it's real, it's a threat, and I think it's important for us to be proactive about this and spread awareness and learn about it. So just a reminder on all of that, vaccines are still not readily available. So that's another call your reps moment and make noise moment because we need a little bit more just activity around this so we can be Mm -hmm. proactive and not end up in another COVID situation before things get really, really bad. So California actually fully declared state of emergency. Yeah across the state too so just just put it on your radar and call your reps and ask for some action on this vaccines and just be careful out there we do want to give another shout out samantha we do we do to a podcast that we love that we know you guys will love too like obviously if we recommend something it's something we we like we listen to we love to spend quality do i say ear time i kind of like that instead of air time it's ear time wait that is good mm. i like it okay we're adding that to idea factory asap but anyways this particular podcast is called female founder world as one might guess it's an entrepreneurship podcast and it is focused on consumer businesses so think e-com stores beauty brands buzzy new beverage companies like our fave Bev, for example, is a great company that would be qualified as a buzzy new beverage company. Anyways, this entire podcast is interviews galore, which we obviously love. And it's interviews with founders that are giving their 411 on entrepreneurship, like what you need to know across the freaking board. So whether it's figuring out how to, you know, stock correctly or PR moves, what and whatnot, it's everything and everything. So Mm -hmm. Go listen to it. We'll Go obviously listen. be linking it, but nonetheless, yes, it's a pod to add to the podcast walk situation. Yes, the hot do girl a little walks. girl in the gut. Do a little female founder world. Yeah. Like do a little right answers mostly. I mean, we got a yeah. lineup. We got a lineup, and we, got a lineup. we just love women rebranding topics that often women aren't encouraged to dabble in, aka politics, aka entrepreneurship, finance, all the things. So. Get your entrepreneurship learning in because like we said yesterday, we shouted this out in our top stories episode from yesterday, but just like you never know when an entrepreneurship idea light bulb turns on in your brain and to have, you know, some knowledge or some resources to go to when you might want to start something of your own. It's good to have those. So definitely go subscribe, follow. We'll be linking it all in the episode description. And to that point, they also have a really great newsletter. Their social pages are great, too. And they, like, have great run-throughs and behind-the-scenes type stuff there as well. So, you know, it's really a follow, subscribe, but you know the deal. But for things that did make it in that particular episode, Top Stories episode, we did talk about Votorama, which apparently is a real thing. I thought it was just a eye roll of a phrase that I wish I had come up with, but hadn't. Yeah, we really thought Votorama was just some cheesy word that an article threw in, but it's like an actual thing. And we described what it is in our top stories yesterday. But speaking of our top stories episode, we chat all about the Senate business this week and also some of the drama that happened last week with like um, Schumer and Manchin completely blindsiding McConnell and the Republicans. You have to hear about that tea and all the legislation that they are looking at this week and also worked on last week. So go check that out. We also talk about all the primaries that are happening today and what to look out for in the coming days when results come out. So go listen. Don't miss it. And before we get into our interview, 
just want to give a shout out to our brand ambassador program. If you are interested in joining the Girl on the Gov community, really, then go check out our brand ambassador program at girlonthegov.com. You can learn all about it. We have political networking opportunities, resume boosters, and more. And it's all voluntary, no requirements. So go check it out. You can sign up and ultimately set up a call to meet us and get into the program. So check her out. Fall internship. Do you want to tell them about it? Naturally. So fall internship, if you are a student in college and you need credit for an internship class, this is for you. It's really, we call it the all things internship because it's social media, it's research, it's PR, it's marketing, it's podcasting, it's a little bit of everything. So if that sounds like something that could be of interest and fits the qualifications, go check out all of the details, girlonthegov.com slash careers, the deets on what to do and how to do it listed there. And yes. we'd love to chat with you. And it's political. So if you're like, oh yeah, duh. There's very little places you can get the intersections of social media, politics, podcasts, marketing, all the things. And that's why it's the all the things internship. So yeah, go check it mm-hmm. out. Girlonthegup.com slash careers. Yeah. And then just before we get into everything, make sure you are subscribing on Apple Podcasts, following on mm-hmm. Spotify, rating and reviewing on both, and also following us on social media. If you don't follow us on Instagram, please do. We are providing mm-hmm. action items and resources and just more political explainers every single day. So go follow us there and follow us at TikTok on TikTok. Instagram, we're at Girl on the Gov. TikTok, we're at Girl on the Gov. And then we have another Instagram, at Girl on the Gov, the podcast. So follow, follow, follow. Yeah. Um, but do you want to introduce our guest now? I do. I think people have heard enough of our yibber-yabbering. So we will get into this interview. <laughs> now we're yibber-yabbering. I can't even say that. What the fuck? What was that? How did you come up with that? Could you tell yabbering. You? There it is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's a girl on the gov original. So um, you heard it here first, people. The yibber and the yabber. Yeah, there you it can. is. Anyways, anyways, this interview is with Molly Gray of Vermont. And she is lieutenant governor, but she's also running for Congress. So if you're a Vermonter, you know early voting is happening right now. Primary is August 9th, the in-person voting situation. But we want to give you the 411 on two things here, which is what you'll get when you listen to this interview. One, what do lieutenant governors do? Because this is the first lieutenant governor we have had on the show. So obviously, we had to ask all the questions involving that. And also about quite, quite the busy congressional race. So it's Mm -hmm. a two for one. It's a lieutenant governor situation it's a congressional situation we bring them together we talk about all the moving parts and we talk about them with molly gray so again enough yibber yabbering which yibber. is really gonna stick guys i'm I telling don't know. you it's gonna stick i don't know if i'll allow it's, it <laughs> it's better than fantabulous true <laughs> anyways so without further ado here is molly we are super excited to chat with you you are the lieutenant governor of Vermont. you are also the first lieutenant governor that we're having on the show. So we love a first here. And we, of course, have to get into what this role does. How does it operate? All the special details. Can you run us through what does this role do? And what's like a day in the life? Sure. Well, lieutenant governor in the state of Vermont is a unique position. But I should say that lieutenant governors across the nation 
all of our roles differ slightly depending on how our constitutions are set up. Here in Vermont, I'm part of the executive branch. So much like, let's say the vice president, I serve in the executive. I have to be ready to step in at any point if something should happen to our governor. I am elected separately, which is pretty unique and different and can talk a little bit about that. But the day-to-day -day responsibilities are actually in the Senate of the Vermont legislature. I serve as the Senate president, which means I sign every bill before it goes to the governor. I preside over the Senate, sort of like a judge presiding over a courtroom. So with the gavel, managing and setting forth the rules of the Senate and the legislative process, I have to be ready at any point to do a tie-breaking vote, either on a procedural issue or an issue of policy, whether or not a bill should pass or not. So it's a really interesting position. Beyond that, serve on the committee on committees, which is sounds a little nerdy, but it's a, <laughs> it's a little nerdy, but it's a position that's really important where you work with all of the senators to assign their committee assignments. I also oh, working cool. with a parliamentarian decide which bills go to which committees. So there's some interesting, quite like political and policy oriented day-to-day -day activities. And then finally, it's a statewide platform, one where I can do whatever I want in terms of bringing issues to light, bringing mm -hmm. different communities into the state house. And I can tell you about the day-to-day, -day, which during the pandemic yeah. was really different. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely give us like the run through. Like you wake up on any given day. Yeah. What is that like? You know, is there like a coffee order involved too? We got to know the <laughs> yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely always coffee involved, but I was sworn into office a day after the insurrection. Oh, and oh in Vermont, we have a state house where anyone can walk in at any point. There's guards, but there's no, I know there's no like security system in place necessarily, yeah. not like an airport. And so it's a really open building. And so for the first time after being sworn in, I had a security detail for the first oh, time wow. in my life, which was a bit. That's like Sam's goal though. And like, <laughs> I really want one. I, I want a butler and a security guard. It's a like very a weird story. Guard. Yes. <laughs> um, so it was pretty, pretty wild. And then gaveling into a Senate that was empty because of COVID, all the senators were at home on their Zoom screens with their jackets on, which is a really interesting way to have our democracy function, but we made it work. Mm -hmm. But the day, the day to day during the legislative session, so from say January until May, June, when it ends, it's getting up. I have married my husband, I live with my husband and two stepkids when they're with us. And it's, you know, he's trying to get the kids in the truck and headed to school, <laughs> trying to get coffee. I eat eggs for breakfast every single morning. So mm -hmm. it's just like something that came to light as I got older, I was like, have to have good protein. So yeah, like yeah. eating an egg sandwich in the car, driving down to Montpelier, trying to listen to VPR, get my news for the morning, getting into the office, preparing to preside. And then it's like meetings all day, constituent mail, sometimes different press events. Yeah, but just on and moving yeah. in and out of like each meeting and space into the next one, trying to be deeply, deeply present. Um, yeah. I love it. It's like, it's the most gratifying pace and work and job I've ever had in my life. I love that. I also feel like that's one of those things like the momentum in that type of role, it keeps you going and you just keep rolling. Like keep rolling. Because, like if I feel like almost like not even you specifically, just like any human like had sort of the downtime in between. I could feel it being really hard to like get back into the groove of it. But the momentum busy and the people interaction. The oh my I love it. They go day. by so fast. You go by. But you are now also 
in campaign mode, which is a whole nother mm-hmm. job in itself, which is crazy. Like, how how do we have the time? I need to know. But you're running for a congressional seat. What is this like? Is there a typical like day in the life campaign wise? And how does this all like mesh, mesh together with the lieutenant governor role that you are also doing? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It definitely is a lot. But I think when you sign up for public service, you're really putting yourself out there and committing to yeah. being on your toes, being available, being ready, kind of thinking both really deeply in the moment, but also five or six or seven days ahead and kind of thinking about long-term policy and issues. The legislature is done now, so my daily responsibilities are a little less in terms of serving as lieutenant governor, but I'm still every day, my chief of staffs mm-hmm. responding to mail or making sure that if people call, they get support that they need. So mm-hmm. most days right now are spent on the trail, getting okay. around the state, farmers markets, community mm-hmm. gatherings, meeting with nonprofits and business leaders, trying to make sure that we're giving every Vermonter a chance to understand how important this election is. We're the only state in the nation has never sent a woman to Washington. And we haven't wow. had an open congressional seat since 2006. And we only get one. So it's a really big deal. This is a, a historic and momentous occasion for Vermont. Totally. That's crazy. It's also so that. crazy that Vermont only gets one because I feel like Vermont is just the breeding ground of political powerhouses. So to think like just the pipeline is amazing and keeps on rolling, but it is one that is definitely top of mind and, you know, sort of begs the question, why Congress? Why now? What inspired this particular, you know, run for you? Yeah, it's a pretty big decision to really put yourself out there in a different way. I took a lot of time to think about it. As you said, we have a lot of powerhouses in Vermont. It's pretty rare to have both the chair of the budget committee, Senator Bernie Sanders, and the chair of the Mm -hmm. appropriations committee, Pat Leahy, from the same state, really driving a lot of policy issues. And then Pat Leahy, Senator Leahy, deciding to retire, which for a small state like Vermont, we're one of the oldest states in the nation, which means we have an aging population. We have a workforce that continues to shrink and shrink and shrink. And we really, really struggle to keep young people in Vermont or when people are ready to move back to the state. And I can tell you my story, making sure it's possible for them. So with a small workforce means we have a small budget and tax base. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we are thinking about making big investments. You're like, wait, we just don't have the money to work with. So Mm -hmm. for me, that's where Congress comes in and where congressional support is so, so important for us, be it in helping to provide access to childcare or providing paid family and medical leave, making sure broadband's accessible, even basic things like I don't know, not to nerd out over water and sewer, but without water and sewer, we can't actually build homes, which it gets into like the real nitty gritty of Mm -hmm. what it means to have really prosperous and livable communities. And certainly as a woman, as a next generation leader, and this is a really big deal for us to be able to have someone in Congress who's going to think about this big generational moment and also a demographic crisis in a way that's, I live, you know, I live it every day as a 30 something living in Vermont. Yeah, that's such an interesting just thing to think about. And I think a lot of people don't think that granular about just how things like just what age of the population in a state, how that can determine an entire budget of a state. Like that's really interesting to think about. And I think a picture that a lot of people don't 
realize is such a you know important part of really what makes up a state and how it functions but like what is that story that you you mentioned earlier of like how moving back here and like how you know the political kind of like impacts of that which is I feel like people don't think about that side of life you know yeah I grew up in Vermont on a very rural vegetable and dairy farm I was actually born on the farm my mom She's amazing. She had had me on the farm, had my younger brother on the farm. Wow. She used to be a competitive ski racer. She's like the strongest woman in the world <laughs> and uh, grew up in the state. And I at one point thought I wanted to be a flight attendant because I thought this is how I'm going to see the world. Like, that's just what mm-hmm. I knew as a kid. And then obviously realizing much later in life, I went to the University of Vermont that there are ways that you can serve and see the world and engage in policy don't involve turbulence, which I really don't <laughs> But I spent the last decade, like graduated from UVM, worked in Congress for Congressman Welch, which was a huge deal. It was my first job out of college. I'd never been to DC before. I worked for the Red Cross, I've led field missions into Haiti and Uganda, some really tough places globally. Came back to Vermont to go to Vermont Law School, clerked on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. I've like really worked hard to try to take opportunity to learn and to get the skills to be a deeply effective leader. And I remember it was August of 2000, of 2018, and I was home. I had been doing some human rights work overseas. And I remember I was back in Newberry where I grew up on the farm and Donald Trump, President Trump had left the United Nations Human Rights Council, had left the Paris Climate Agreement yeah. and had issued policies around um, minor detention, like detaining children along the US-Mexico border. And I was like, whoa, what happened? Like trying to promote human rights abroad, but right here at home, we're stripping them away. And then I remember looking around my own community and everyone was saying, you're a lawyer, you have to stay here. We don't have any lawyers in town. And then it's like, we don't have any electricians. We don't have Mm. any plumbers. Like there are no young people. I'm like, we're in huge trouble. How is it that as a state that really proclaims to be focused on progressive values and working families that we've really struggled to make it possible for young people to stay here? And then my mom, who I said is just, you know, an amazing, amazing woman. She's lived with multiple sclerosis for the last, since 1999, she was diagnosed. And that year she got really sick and went into the hospital and we weren't sure she was going to come out. And I was also, I was working as an assistant attorney general at the time, like working at night to pay off my mm. loans. And I'm like trying to afford rent, trying to afford housing, a rental, a rental unit. And I use my vacation days, my sick days, and my personal days that I accrued trying to care for her. I just help, like help, you know, every day I could be to the hospital, I would be there. And I got to the point where I was like, am I going to have to take unpaid leave to care for my mom? Which of course we would do, right? Of course we would do for a loved one. Or am I going to stay in my job and just like say, you know, hope for the best. And that for me just like sounded the alarm bell of how dysfunctional our caregiving system is and how much that not only impacts a state like Vermont, where we have a lot of aging people, parents, loved ones, where we need caregivers, but also for our generation, a generation that is thinking about starting a family. I mean, you're caught, we're caught in the middle. We are the sandwich generation and how much that's going to impact our own ability to have good jobs, to have kids and find childcare and have leave when we need it. And so that for me really 
is the why, like why mm -hmm. run for Congress? It's to try to change a system that I don't think works and isn't working. And we had the highest percentage of women leave the workforce during the pandemic in, the, in Vermont. And I think because of a lack of caregiving. So I share that because it's what like gets me up every day. And it, yeah. it, apply, it really connects with how we build a workforce. Like how do we make sure that we're supporting the next generation in the state? And that starts with having a strong caregiving structure. Totally, yeah, such an interesting just again thing to think about me and sam both come from like new york california with huge populations lots of young people and it's just crazy to think about you know the different dynamics and how just different the entire country is and like state by state and you know the priorities there totally and just the infrastructure that exists or doesn't exist mm -hmm. to support care communities up and i feel like also too like there's like the misnomer of don't get me wrong i'm all about having care for like young moms and you know, all of that. Yeah. To oh, totally. Parents, all the parents, like, all right. the parents. Yeah. But I think that people often forget that people's parents are aging and mm -hmm. there needs to be support there as well. And the conversation often goes to only one end of it. And it really needs to be an infrastructure across the whole board. And like that could be a really successful venture. And mm -hmm. I don't really understand why people don't give it enough light. So I'm glad that like you are doing that and that there is definitely a lot to be sort of said and go you know from there as well but we also want to talk about rep you welsh because he's coming on our show as well so we're just going for okay. a whole vermont slate it's fine wow. we're we're obsessed it is what it is but <laughs> you were like you said a congressional aide on you know his staff and we're so curious what was that role like like what does a congressional <laughs> aide actually do because we hear about it all the time and then we're like wait but like what what is that yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like I can give you the inside scoop, but maybe I'll let him give you the inside scoop. <laughs> I, uh, so I graduated from UVM. I worked in his congressional campaign and I was his scheduler. And we set out this goal of having him visit all 251 towns in a three month period. So got to know the state really, really well beyond yeah. the community that I grew up in went, where I went to school. And then I will always remember this. I don't know if it was the day he won or the day after the day before, but I was called into the office and offered a job to work as his schedule and executive assistant in Washington, which wow. I was like, oh my God, this is my ticket, right? And yeah. a dream, a dream come true. And then driving to Washington had never seen the Capitol before and literally remember who I was with, with in the moment where we opened the door to 1404 Longworth, which was the building that his office was in and walked in and there wasn't much there. We were literally had to build the office from the ground floor in terms of systems and as scheduler, you're the sort of the first line of defense. Anytime sort of someone comes into the office and wants to meet with the congressman, anyone who is planning to come to Vermont, to either Vermont or DC to meet with him, managing his daily schedule. So every committee hearing, every meeting around policy, understanding at the very basic level, like what the issue is, what's coming up, really having this view into the day-to-day -day of a member of Congress that no one else has other than generally the chief of staff. So that I feel like was incredible training now for what, I wasn't thinking about it then, but now, I mean, I feel very, very aware of what the job entails, mm -hmm. what it means to be deeply effective and also what it means to just be deeply responsive and open to the public, right? Mm -hmm. uh, being able to be really diplomatic. Yeah, you, know, you have to choose which meetings you're gonna take and not take. 
you have to think about policy priorities. You have to make sure that when Vermonters or anyone calls and has an issue, how to connect them with resources. And it's a really big job. And I think I feel very comfortable and ready to make those decisions now, certainly as a future Congresswoman. Oh my God, I'm sure. We've talked about that on the show before with a prior guest, just how the schedulers are so slept on in a campaign, but also, yeah, when they, the, you know, the candidate gets into office, it really is such a huge job and how like in other industries, like an executive assistant, people like brush off, but in politics, it is a huge role. So yeah, I love the, we love highlighting that role, how important it is. But moving on to our, I have a stupid question segment. We want to run into kind of like dive deeper into this like lieutenant governor role a little bit. Do all states have lieutenant governors? Let's get into that first. Yeah, most states do. However, Oregon has an interesting situation where they have a secretary of state who also serves as lieutenant governor. So it's sort of a hybrid position. But interestingly, as I mentioned earlier, not every lieutenant governor is on the same ticket as the governor. They don't always run as a team. And in Illinois, that's the case with Juliana Stratton, an amazing lieutenant governor, a dear friend of mine. Best part of the job is meeting all these amazing lieutenant governors. Mandela Barnes, who's running for the U.S. Senate in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. the two youngest lieutenant governors in the nation. But in Vermont, we're elected separately. So it's an interesting dynamic. I serve with one of the most popular Republican governors in the nation, and we're elected on separate tickets, yet mm-hmm. yeah, he decides my budget, and there's a lot of sort of operational issues that are determined by separate elected governor. Yeah. Automatically, like that is a situation where we would have to ring the bipartisan bell. We have a bell Mm. on the show anytime something is accomplished or there's work that's done well between, you know, two different parties. And that's like literally your every day. Like you are constantly accomplishing something or things with someone from the other side of the aisle. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I feel most proud of, he wasn't, I wasn't his chosen lieutenant governor. There was someone else, a Republican who he campaigned pretty hard for. And I was like, I want to work with this governor. I mean, we have to, right. I'm coming into office in the middle of a pandemic. Like there is no time for whatever happened before. Like I'm burying the hatchet. We're good. And (laughs) I'm really trying to figure out how to work together. And so I remember you know, calling, reaching out, calling again, reaching out. And then finally we got to the place where now we meet regularly and talk about all sorts of things from just like what's happening in the state, checking in on different issues, talking about policy. We did do a joint commentary together, which I think Vermonters are like, wow, okay. Phil Scott and Molly Gray coming out on an issue together. And it was to end the tax on military retirement pay, which were only one of a handful of states that still taxes retirement pensions of anyone that served generally more than 21, 20 to 21 years. That's correct. Correct. So yeah, it was a pretty big deal. And we try to find ways to show bipartisanship. And I think it sets a really nice tenor and tone and also where we disagree doing that with a lot of stability. Mm -hmm. So you kind of mentioned like how, you know, some states they run on the same ticket and just for people like to paint the picture a little bit I mean depending obviously per se it's going to be different but like is it kind of like a president vice president dynamic can you kind of explain how those kind of compare and contrast yeah I wouldn't want to speak you'd have to you should get Juliana Stratton she's just the coolest and I hope she's listening (laughs) or does listen um uh 
Yeah, to get her on to talk about what it's like to run with someone on the same ticket. I think that there's obviously a lot more unity, I think, in messaging. But what I think is actually exciting about us being on separate tickets is that I'm pretty free to take the positions that I want. And what I've always told the governor Mm -hmm. and feel strongly about is where I disagree, I'm going to tell you first and we're going to talk about it. And it's never going to be a a personal jab at his position it is just a policy difference and i think that's really healthy and like being able to do that in a civil way and i think we need more of that in congress that's Mm. that's i think that's what's going to heal our democracy when we have more situations and more leaders who are willing to look at issues try to find the biggest coalitions possible where we disagree doing that in a respectful way but trying to end what feels like this constant fanning of the flames and really divisive politics, like the personal name calling, the attacks that are really turn people off from even serving. And that's a problem right. too. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's only getting crazier and crazier and we definitely need to diffuse it a little bit. So could not agree more, but we do want to move it back to your campaign, specifically talking about caregiving. I know we touched on this a little bit. But one of the things that we were thinking about, Maddie and I were chatting about earlier, is unpaid caregiving. And for those that don't know, I kind of want to get into what that is and get just a good like sort of definition so people understand like when they think about unpaid caregiving, what that is. Would you mind just walking us through sort of the the origin story and or you know what that means for people in general and people in Vermont as well? Sure. So what often happens is that in every family or individual story is different, families get to the point where they have, say, a loved one, a spouse, aunt, an uncle, a parent who may ultimately need long-term or or care for, you know, recovery from, for any number of health reasons. And oftentimes I think it falls to women, that's just the reality, who decide that, okay, what can I do to provide care and support, especially where there's no healthcare coverage for care and support for a lot of folks and end up having to leave the workforce because that's the most economical way to do that. But the tack on issue is that when someone leaves the workforce, not only do they no longer, are they no longer a taxpayer, which obviously as government, we need to have more taxpayers rather than higher taxes, but it impacts the economic security of the individual. Right now, this individual has left the workforce. They don't have a check. They don't have the ability to pay for their own services and needs, which may ultimately end up leading to seeking unemployment. Right. And so then we're paying for what could be paid leave, right, for temporary support and leave to help through a challenging situation through unemployment. And in this, in the state of Vermont, with so many aging people, we have had. just a proliferation of mostly women leaving the workforce to provide caregiving. We have hundreds of unpaid caregivers, especially in our rural areas. And it just creates massive, massive economic instability. Separately, I think traditionally we think about paid family medical leave in terms of families who are starting a family, right? And, And 12 weeks under the federal paid leave program, if you're a federal employee, I think is barely enough. That is like the absolute floor. And that's what we're fighting for, for Mm -hmm. everyone, right? And making sure that that's available so that mothers and fathers and and couples who are, or individuals, anyone who's going through the process of starting a family has the time and support to build that bond with 
a baby for at yeah. least 12 weeks, which that's nothing. I mean, we consider ourselves a modern industrialized nation. And when it comes to supporting families, I mean, we're, we're terrible. We're really, really terrible. And I think mm-hmm. our economy and workforce really struggles, but obviously it's just, it's also an issue of just like, how do we, how do we support, how do we support families? And I, and I may add not to go on and on here, but I've been thinking about this a lot in the context of the Supreme Court's recent gonna, and, and like, if, you know, one, I feel like if we've had more women at the table for the last 50 years, we'd be in a different place, period, mm-hmm. on reproductive rights, on childcare, on paid family medical leave. But I've been thinking about it in terms of like, what does this decision mean? I think it basically means that the government saying this is government mandated pregnancy. And that's wild, right? But it's even more wild when we think of the fact that we don't have a childcare that's affordable. Vermonters mm-hmm. pay 25, excuse me, 25% of their income, the highest in the nation. Yeah. And we don't have paid family and medical leave. It's like, yeah. it is so impactful on so many levels given our current situation. And that's why we have to have more women in office. We need to have more fighters who are ready to take it to the mat on these issues that are really about all of us. Absolutely. What are some of the solutions, especially policy solutions that can combat this issue? First on childcare, Vermonters pay 25% of their income, which is the largest percentage of income in the nation on childcare. So to have a child tax credit obviously is a huge help. That was a huge help during the pandemic, but supporting President Biden, Biden's plan, but also one of the congressional plans through Build Back Better was to decrease percentage of income to 7%, which would be huge, which means supporting more early childhood educators, growing that workforce, expanding the number of families based on income who can access reduced or subsidized childcare. Number one on paid leave, it's having a paid leave, a universal across this nation, regardless of income, regardless of employment status, paid leave plan with 12 weeks being the bare, bare minimum. And then finally, electing more leaders who have, in my case, a strong legal background. I'm a human rights lawyer, served as an assistant attorney general who understand the law and constitution and are ready to, I'll say it, take it to the mat on protecting fundamental rights. And it's not just Roe, it's not just access to abortion care, it's access to contraceptives, it's who you love and how you love, it's equal marriage. We have to think that this court is ready to strip away all of the right to privacy rights and we need to codify everything as quickly as possible and recognize that the majority of Americans agree. So let's mm-hmm. do it. Totally. Amen to that. You did mention one bit about child, oh my gosh, child care tax credits. Can you walk us through like what that is? Like how does that work if someone you know, had gotten those previously or like what, what exactly is that? Yeah, child care tax credits basically mean where a family has a child, they can receive a particular tax credit. So a certain amount of money to support, I guess, with recognition that having children costs more, that means food and health appointments and all of the things that parents and families pay for when having kids. So providing some economic relief for that. I oftentimes find that one issue with tax credits 
is that they work when you apply for them, but it doesn't mean that at the outset, families are always getting the support that they need. So to the extent that we can invest in childcare at the same time, or making sure that we're supporting working families, either through support for the healthcare system, support through access to housing, making that affordable, addressing a lot of the underlying costs, that's also really important. And it all comes back to like, how are families each, you know, each week, each month, chopping up the paycheck? Mm -hmm. Okay. I have another like silly question just in terms of like the execution of it. When someone gets like a tax write, is that like kind of like when you do your taxes in the spring and you get like a tax refund, is that where you would see it? Or are you like given like when we did like the stimmy checks, a stimulus check kind of version of that and it's just sent to you and then you use it? directly. It, kind of depend, it depends on how it's set up. Okay. Families received like a stimulus check types okay. credit credit last time, which is helpful, but it really depends on how states or the federal government sets it up. Mm-hmm. Got it. Makes sense. Well, I always get so dive- confused with that stuff. I'm like, I know. Oh. Or like, and like, like I love the concept. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. God. What, what on it's earth is a rebate is the question. Tax, That's taxes just, just aren't on our on our vibe yeah, we're not and sam is very afraid <laughs> of committing tax fraud accidentally so that's another one of her big fears in life yeah it's just it's scary like there's so many things like i'm bad at numbers what if i forget the wrong form or i bring like the wrong piece of paper and then forget about tax it fraud. like i don't look good enough in orange for this deal so it's just <laughs> it can't happen anyways larger issues yeah, classic and, and oftentimes with when we're going to fill out or complete our taxes, we have to be our own advocates, right? And understanding what's available. And I think the more support that we can have for families and individuals and just understanding what's available and making sure that there's a lot of support for this is what's there. And I think there's a lot that goes unutilized because people just don't know. Totally. The communications side of, you know, just government resources, period, needs to be way better. So many people have resources, but just literally don't know that they exist. So there's a that's a whole nother beast to tackle. But to dive a little bit deeper into like the work worker shortage that we chatted about in Vermont, but also just looking at different like rural areas, too. I also was like kind of had a question about that, of how Obviously, you mentioned how there's less young people, aka less of a workforce. So are you seeing also in Vermont that like, obviously, there's less young people, that's one thing, but the young people that are there, are they these caregivers that we talked about? Is that like a kind of reoccurring theme that you guys see in Vermont? I wouldn't say it's always young people. And I, I guess what I mean is that it's it can be like 50, 60 something. It's people who are caught in the middle mm-hmm. who may have kids and kids of all sorts of ages and then also have parents and trying to navigate caring for both without this paid leave structure. I think the biggest challenge in terms of our our workforce is that we for a long time as a state have talked about having a demographic crisis, right? Like the workforce is shrinking and utilized a lot of different tools and plans to try to address that. One tool was paying people $10,000 to move to Vermont. I remember and, that. Right? I saw that. Viral. I was like oh. viral. It was like press all over the world. I mean, papers in the United Kingdom were were helping us promote this idea. We've now seen documented climate refugees, climate migrants moving to the state. We've seen lots of people move here. We had one of the best, I say this with humility, but one of the best pandemic responses in the country, very high COVID vaccine uptake and rate. And now it's not that we 
we still don't have enough workers, but we don't have enough housing. There's actually just the housing is gone. And so trying to navigate, how do you build housing when you don't have electricians and plumbers and Mm. carpenters? How do you welcome families when you don't have childcare that's either affordable or even accessible at all? It just doesn't exist. So trying to navigate this landing pad issue that Mm. is completely intersectional in terms of its functionality. So mm-hmm. that's where I, I think it's as a systems person, as someone's like, how do we navigate this? That's this is where lot. it's a lot. And this is where having Congress come in and figure out, okay, how can we grow a workforce? How can we reinvest in the trades? How can we make sure that the next generation isn't feeling the stigma of going to a CCB or a vocational or technical school is a bad choice. It is like a great choice. These yeah. are the jobs, right? And that I, I care a lot about that as really as a leader, but also how do we invest in other areas, be it water and sewer, expanding the childcare workforce so that all of these, the system is being reformed and student loan debt, which there's a generation I graduated from law school with 125,000 in debt. And that's been a mortgage on my life. Right. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of people feel that. So trying to be like, how do we fix the system that led a lot of people to care around this debt, but also how do we address debt for a generation and we're talking about generation that's you know in their 50s too, right? There's yep. there's ARP is worried about student loan debt because they we know that there are folks who haven't been able to save for retirement because every penny's gone towards paying off crippling student loan debt. Absolutely crazy. What are so what are some of the solutions? I guess are yeah. there any? Yeah, sure. Like... I mean, in Congress, I mean, for me, no first you know freshman member of Congress gets to choose their committees. But if I could be on education and labor, which is where a lot of our big workforce policies and our higher education system come out of being on energy and commerce, where we can focus on broadband access, financial services, where housing development support, you know, that's really where the rubber meets the road, looking at how do we get more folks into first time, first time home buyers into homes. Obviously, looking at paid leave and childcare within education and labor or through energy and commerce. So it's that's exciting. I mean, that's the work, right? And how to work with obviously rural states similarly situated, but knowing that in California and New York and also states with big populations, these issues also matter. Totally. And trying to build, as I said, the biggest coalitions possible. Because at the end of the day, I don't think these are issues that are divisive, you know, Republicans, Democrats, and progressives. This is all of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of, we're always, we always have a jinx per episode. I never usually know when it's, it's going to totally. be. We usually we're say switching. totally at the same time, but I guess today it's absolutely, which is rare for us because totally is very much overused on this show. But, so I'm glad <laughs> we're at least, become... I'm glad we're at least evolving a little bit. <laughs> I'm so proud of us. I really think that should be a drinking game. But anyways, <laughs> moving back. <laughs> <laughs> moving away from drinking games and moving this back to policy for voters that are going to be turning out the primary, which is literally around the corner, which is so insane. What should they know? What are like two big policy platforms, you know, on your campaign they should be aware of? Certainly the ones we've talked about today, these are the big generational issues that are going to be make it or break it for us here in Vermont. But I also think for um, the next generation across the country, and that is how do we address the landing pad? How do we address us being able to make it work? Affordable housing, ability to start families and have the care that we need to be economically viable. 
And then, you know, obviously we're thinking about climate, obviously thinking about student loan debt, but I think those two, supporting working families and supporting access to housing are the ones that really matter to young people in the state. And I'm and ready yeah. to get to work. I'm ready yes. to get to work, you know, I've worked in Congress, served yeah. as Lieutenant Governor and have experience that no other candidate in this race has. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. these final weeks, we've got 20, today's Wednesday, I believe it's the 20th, 20th. <laughs> Wednesday, the 20th, <laughs> we have 20 days until August 9th. And mm-hmm. wow, you can vote, Vermonters can vote by requesting a ballot by mail over the next couple of days. Or go to their town clerk's office immediately. You can vote now or you can wait till the ninth, but don't wait till the ninth. Yeah. Shorter now. Let's say Shorter do ones. it now, right? And your yeah. and your your vote is your voice. It is your moment to really participate in such a historic election for a state. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I was gonna say too, those policy solutions that you're running on are like you said, like they really are applicable across the country too, which is so important to note. And like for people who are listening and either are Vermont voters or aren't and want to just make sure you make it to the finish line, like how can people support you and support this campaign and get you there? Sure. First, go to mollyforvermont.com. Sign up to volunteer. We have got dozens of volunteers out canvassing, honking waves. Not a lot of parades left. So sorry if that's your thing, but (laughs) join us. We have phone banks every night. I have an amazing team of people working everywhere. And if you've never voted before, if you've never participated before, we do not care. Jump on the team, learn, share your ideas, share your concerns. Like this is about all of us and we want you on board. You can also chip in. Obviously every dollar (laughs) raised helps us pay this amazing team and get our message out. And I don't accept any um, corporate PAC money or corporate contributions, like dollars from people. Yeah. And we can talk about how we'll reform the system. Yeah, uh, that's another episode. And another episode <laughs> for sure. But this is it. We get one, one of 435. And, yeah. and we need to make it count. Absolutely. So get out, get involved. And thanks so much for having me on. This was really fun. And yeah, thanks for believing in women in the next generation. It's time. Of course. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for your time and coming on. We had a a good time too. (laughs) Duh. Well, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, go check out all the links in the description as well. All the info will be there. So there it is. There it is. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.